0: welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast. This is episode number 19. Robbie here and the guest in this episode is the fantastic Chris Joseph. Now there are always um, many moments that you can choose to tell someone's story from but there's a beautiful one in this episode that Chris describes um, when he was sat on the top of a Welsh mountain looking down at the school where his wife worked near his home in 2007 uh, in a moment of depression and despair and and he describes that as one of the first, or, or you know, or one of many instances of clarity that would eventually lead him to coaching. In that moment, he was on the brink of a meltdown. He'd left his uh, his work and doing a PhD in computational mechanics that morning to come straight back home to the mountain, and he knew that it wasn't serving him anymore. From there, he discovered all kinds of things on his journey, including Buddhism and yoga and meditation which became the real elixir for him and he you know describes brilliantly how he was so excited by the discoveries he was making through that engagement with meditation and mindfulness that he couldn't sleep with excitement um and in particular his life changed when he trained to become a mindfulness teacher with breathworks he went on to complete his phd um But he also launched his first coaching practice. And what's beautiful about this episode is Chris describes how that really wasn't a success, how it it didn't go well and why. Um, And some, you know, extraordinary highs and lows that came after that, including making £10,000 a month in passive income and then losing it all to a fraud trader. I mean, stay tuned for that story. Um, And how it, you know, that really changed his relationship with money uh, and meant that when he came back to coaching and started his business for the second time you know he's he's moved to a place where he makes six figures every year and he thinks a seven figure year is 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 coming up in the next year or two um we get into some fantastic uh, practical parts of this conversation where his practice went wrong the first time is, is a great part of it. And yeah, I love the way he own, really owns that failure the first time. And no wonder he does, because the second time round, everything is going so well. Um, he talks about why the inner work is so important for us and, and that, that brilliant distinction that you can only take people as far as you can go yourself. He says a lovely thing about why a true insight always comes packaged with an action or an outside, an outer action, if you like. And he, we, we gets, he gets some really practical on how to invite an individual into coaching, Or right? I help him take us there because his way of thinking about that is really nice. Um, and the distinction he makes is how do you make it a gift to the individual and not a request for yourself? So that's all of that is to look forward to in this episode. Before we move into that, I wanted to talk a little bit about uh, what, some things I spoke about in episode 18. So if you haven't listened to that uh, to that one yet, go back and check it out. I talk about how I think about creating new ways of working with clients in my business. And I use that to explain uh, two new things that you can now do um, in relation to coaching with me. One is you can support the Coach's Journey podcast. So if you think this is an important thing and you want to help it keep going, you can become a supporter. You get a various things depending on how much you want to give in exchange for that that generous support from monthly updates about who I've got we've got coming up as guests um, to thank yous on episodes uh, and the chance to submit questions for future guests um, and as part of that I've also launched the coaches journey community which is uh, in some ways a, 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 a pay as you go. Um, opportunity to work with me starts from as little as about £10 a month um, goes up to um, uh, uh, £90 a month plus fat um, because of, of the way the platform that I'm using works I have to charge fat on this stuff um, and for £90 a month you become a full member of the community, you get 10 uh, community coaching calls a year you get 2 one-on-one coaching sessions with me every year and various other bits and pieces so check that out, you can find out more about the community at thecoachesjourney.com slash community or you can go to patreon.com slash The Journey, um, or click the support button at the top of com to find out about becoming a supporter to sign up uh, to be a supporter or to um, sign up to be a member of the community and the first community call comes up on the is coming up on the 12th of november so you might want to sign up before then so we can go on this adventure together um, that's some stuff from me on what i've got coming up and part of that is because. Um, as I explained in episode 18, uh, I won't be running the Coach's Journey group program in its normal slot next year because we're having a baby in January. Um, so the Coach's Journey community is the way to work with me uh, n- now or soon. Uh, the group program may come back um, later next year or it may wait until 2022. Um and of course, if what you want is intense group coaching uh, and not joining the community like that, you'll hear from Chris in this episode how he does some really amazing work with coaches and, you know, there's, there's so much stuff uh, that Chris talks about in this episode that that might pull you in and, and the links to him and his work are all in the um, in the show notes and at com on the episode page or wherever you found this episode. Um but as well as all the practical stuff, you know, we get into some really big topics in this um, in this episode. We talk about death, we talk about impermanence, we talk about the importance of play and the effects of all of these on our lives, but also on our work. Um, and look, it's just, for me, it was just, just such a total pleasure to be in the space, space with Chris in this episode um, and to listen back to it, um, you know, just now because we recorded a month or two ago. Um there's something wonderful about his open-heartedness. I think you'll feel it when you listen, but I also recommend um, we'll put the video of this episode up in, in the next couple of weeks um, on the Coach's Journey YouTube page. There's a new one, actually, for the Coach's Journey, so, so check that out. But you can really see in that just how open-hearted Chris is and what a wonderful presence he is to to, to be with. So, um, yeah, I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I have to, uh, as I did to record it, as I have to listen back um, and yeah, without further ado, please enjoy episode 19 of the Coach's Journey podcast with a fantastic Chris Joseph Chris, welcome to the Coach's Journey podcast.
1: Thank you, Robbie. It's a real pleasure to, to be here today and uh, speaking with you I'm looking forward to it.
0: Yeah, and I think yeah you know de- you definitely are the first Welsh. It's the first time people- listeners will hear a Welsh accent. Okay. Uh, on the podcast, which is great. <laughs> um,
1: I, I didn't realise I had an accent, probably.
0: <laughs> but just enough. It's brilliant. though. Like I uh, I have lots of affection for Wales. I have a Welsh middle name. And also, we used to go on holiday to Wales, all over Wales when I was a kid. Um, and so, um, absolutely love that corner of the world. Um, yeah, and a also... Good, it's... Sorry, go on. It's a, yeah, it's a
1: beautiful place to live. Yeah.
0: There's so many nice parts. Yeah, very jealous. Yeah, we were just saying, we're recording this still mid... Um, mid-coronavirus situation and uh yeah i was having little pangs of jealousy while we were talking before this about you having mountains and castles nearby and me having you know uh, other other concrete blocks of flats and luckily occasional parks near me in london um because i was i was really looking forward to having this conversation um earlier today lots of reasons but um one of them that i just wanted to touch on is I just it's nice to speak to someone else who is both a coach and loves that coaching but also is is kind of interested in supporting other coaches, um, to, to grow, develop in all kinds of ways. And I'm sure we'll get into that as, as time goes on. Obviously that's part of why I created these conversations, but, um, yeah, great to have you here. And I guess to start us off, let's just go back to when did you first come across coaching as you, you know, as we talk about it now? Yeah, it's, um, (laughs) <laughs>
1: it's a, I kinda of gathering my my uh, kind of the recesses of my memory because it probably goes back about eleven or so years Robbie. Um I believe it was two thousand and seven. Um in the autumn. And um yeah, that was um it was a challenging period for me. I was um in the in the fourth year of a three year PhD. If you can, <laughs> that makes sense mm-hmm. <laughs> i think that sentence in itself says it all um and overrunning on that um yeah a, a lot of stress with overrunning and um and a period of um i, I guess on reflection a period of depression for sure um a uncertain period and um I, I took some on, on some help at that point. You know, I had some uh, access to some counselling through University, Cardiff University at the time, and um, that was CBT counselling, and it, it was great. And I kind of knew in those sessions that I, I wanted uh, to move into the kind of helping profession in some way, um, but counselling didn't feel the right thing for me. And at that time, I had a, had a cousin, Rich Waterman, who – <laughs> I often joke with him um, that uh, it was fortunate for me that he had his kind of meltdown a couple of years before me. He was a, a former investment banker with Chase and um, he was kind of on his on his own journey there and doing Tony Robbins uh, work and so on. Um, and it started the early days of, of, of being a coach himself. And that was the first introduction for me. It was a conversation with him. I reached out at that time and he effectively coached me. And since that period has has taught me a lot, I uh, you know I owe a lot to those early conversations with him. Um, that's that's the first introduction I had to coaching, and I just just fell in love with it. Really,
0: um,
1: yeah,
0: uh, yeah, I love I love the the, the idea that he had that, <laughs> that meltdown first. So great, uh, thanks, Rich, and and whatever it was that, that brought that on. In some ways, although I'm sure it's one of those things, isn't it? Um, we can be. How do you say it? We can be grateful for those experiences, even if we wouldn't wish them on anyone else. Uh, sometimes,
1: yeah, yeah. I don't necessarily want to take up too much of this call with that period because it's, um, it's, it's, in some respects, it's difficult to, you know, recall how I felt then because life is so different now. But I, there is one particular memory which I think captures it. I was, um, I was doing a PhD in computational mechanics, so I was civil engineering as my degree. And even even the name says it all, right? Um, I was working on self-healing materials and I was writing computer code and running the code overnight and going in the following morning and I was finding out day after day that things weren't working. And that just takes its toll over time. And I remember one time I went in, I switched my computer on and I just like thought, well, you know, F this. I, I can't do this anymore. And I, I, I switched it off and I just... Walked walked out of the de- department, like got the next train, p- almost the same train that I came in on, got <laughs> that one back. And I, I sat um just at stones from my house. I sat on top of the mountain. And um yeah, you know, dark thoughts, um, not a pleasant experience. And I remember calling my wife on her phone fo- on her phone. She was um she's a teacher in the local school. I could actually see the school from where I was sitting. <laughs> And, and she answered. She never answers. <laughs> She's a teacher, right? She answered. And I said, I can, I can see you. And she said, I hope not. I'm sitting on the toilet. <laughs> so she'd answered the phone in the bathroom in, in the school. And I explained I was on the mountain. I could see the school, of course. And, and, I, and I laughed. And it wasn't at that time. I didn't get the insight. But later, looking back, it was like, I, I was laughing, literally a second after feelings so depressed mm. and it was you know you can't hold two emotional states at the same time I didn't have that insight then I wish I'd had this was re- on reflection um, and I think that's really a thread through so much of my my work even now certainly in the mindfulness work which I'm sure we'll come on to is just that, it's to kind of choose wisely, <laughs> Chris, even to myself, right? Choose wisely, Chris. If you can't hold two emotional states at the same time, which one are you entertaining? Which which fire are you putting the, you know, the wood on, so to speak? And and that was, um, yeah, yeah, a big, big insight. Yeah.
0: And, you know, obviously there's already a load of different directions we could go, but I just wanted to say, I wanted to check in. You said that when you were having the CBT and before you spoke to Rich, you already kind of knew that you wanted to move into the helping profession more. And I could hear your kind of, yeah, the tone of your voice talking about the computational mechanics and and getting in there in the morning, right? So something was happening then. But how did you know that you wanted that? That was what you wanted to move towards.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a tough one to ask because it's a, it's a felt thing, I think, Robbie. Um, what I did know was that sitting in front of a computer all day uh, doing research, even though I was very successful at it, you know, published papers and a book chapter with my external examiner, even, you know, they wanted me to stay on very much. I, I knew that it wouldn't fulfill me in, in the deepest sense, um, when I look back at those times, it was like conversations with other researchers that really I remember now. And in fact, I guess the first informal coaching I did was with other PhD students over coffee, over lunch, helping them really, um, work through many of the same challenges that I was working through. So yeah, it wasn't paid, but it was kind of informal coaching really. And I, I loved it. I just remember the energy in the afternoon after one of those conversations was so much different, so the energy in the morning when I came in and sat in front of my computer and um, there was there was enough silence in my life that I could listen to that i could I could hear that and um, I think one of the things I would give myself credit for over the years is that I have. Regularly slowed down. You know, I meditation practice now, and at that time, I, um, I I got into, uh, I went on an introduction to Buddhism course. Right, this is like the 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 autumn, the fall of um, when was it, 2007 So you know, went to the doctor. Got got actually got some medication only for a short period. I knew as soon as I took that, that I did not want that to be a long term solution. It was a short term. You know, eight. and I, I, I committed there and then not only to do the counselling, but then to do look look at other things because there were other people around me who were working with the same stresses, but who were not feeling the same. It's like, so I thought, what's going on here? Mm. I think that's where my left brain is always kicked in. It's like, what are the people doing that I'm not yet doing? Because it seems to be working for them, and I'm curious and I'm open to learn. I'm humble enough to learn. So I did yoga, I went on an introduction to Buddhism course, I learned to meditate, I learned to see my thoughts rather than just be in them all of the time. That separation, even if it's the thickness of a, in in the UK we have like a thickness of a fag paper, cigarette paper, right? (laughs) It's all you need to go from that to that is just the thickness of that cigarette paper. I started to experience that in those early meditations and it was literally mind-blowing. I, I couldn't sleep after those initial meditations and that introduction course, not because of the of the anxiety and the stress, but because of excitement. I'd found, I, I, I sort of discovered some Alexia that was so, so precious to me, and I just wanted to share
0: it. Yeah. 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 There's an amazing bit in... Um in a book by Jonathan Haidt called The Happiness Hypothesis, and I'm not going to be able to do it justice now, but he, you know, he, he does this great bit where he says, like, imagine there's a medication, 100% natural ingredients, no side effects, it makes your stress go down, it makes you happier, it lists all these positive things. But would you take it? And then he says, this medication exists. It is meditation. <laughs> you know, it's like, and there, that moment, right? You can, see it's like you called it an elixir, and and uh, yeah, that gesture of the. The difference between all the thoughts meshed together with you and the, just that perspective of the fact packet and paper, yeah, yeah. And it's
1: not it's not actually the meditation itself. I think that's where a lot of misconception mm. comes from. The sitting on the cushion or sitting on the chair is just the practice ground for actually getting that space in your daily life. Mm. That's where the real magic. Uh, and freedom uh, uh, exists because if you've got to go and take yourself off somewhere to some retreat or some cushion or some chair to get that then that's
0: counterproductive yeah it might be nice but it's not going to change change your life experience of of life
1: no no and uh I'll mention this briefly I did some training recently with Michael Neal and Dickon Bettinger Um, three principles training and and, and the day was called living from a state of meditation and Sydney Banks, the the originator of three principles says you're only ever one thought away
0: Hmm.
1: and it's not having another thought. It's actually the removal normally of the thought that's actually blocking you from a state that always exists. Mm. It's always there right. Even now it's there for us both to just drop into. And yeah, um so, you know, we'll come on to this, I know, but so much of the high-level work I do know is, is a deconstructive model. It's about removing things, not adding
0: more. Yeah, yeah. And th- let's get to that. But, uh, you know, first of all, I'm curious – you had this conversation with with uh, your cousin, you had, you know, where maybe that was the first time you kind of ex- knew, got the word coaching or experienced it explicitly, although there had been these conversations before. And I really get that, you know, when I think back to when I was, I was quite a bad line manager. But after I did a line management conversation with someone, like a supervision conversation, we would both leave it feeling amazing. We just only did them like you know, once every six months or once a year or something, which is why it wasn't a great manager, um, you know. But I really understand that sense that there were these conversations that gave you that buzz. And at the same time, you were experimenting and you kind of had this elixir moment with with meditation. What happened next? Was it the movement towards more coaching or, or the work you do in terms of mindfulness and meditation? What, you know, what were the next steps?
1: Yeah, it's the next steps over... Over Christmas into the new year of uh, 2008, I guess this would be, um, was that I actually signed up as a participant on a on a on a secular mindfulness course um, run by a company called Breathworks, and there was a franchise or well, not franchise, like a separate company in Cardiff called Breathworks Cardiff, and um, I was a little hesitant signing up because the course that I could make was a daytime course and it was for pain and illness, mindfulness for for pain and illness. I'm really glad I did because uh, I was on that course in February, I believe it started 2008. And it was an eight-week course. It was secular. It was very well structured. It had a workbook. It had MP3 meditations to follow between Sessions, even some diary work as well, and journaling has been a big part of my journey right from the early kind of period in 2007 until today. Journaling just slows the mind down, and I I, I highly recommend it for anyone watching this. And um, there was one particular um, moment on that course when a when a woman, Penny, her name was, who had she had MS, she had um uh, calipers I believe they're called on her legs. And um it was mid session. The teacher was teaching and she was starting to get up. So I could see obviously she she needed the bathroom and this was on the top floor of a yoga studio and there were steps down. So I just got up and helped her as anyone would really. Um helped her to the bathroom and and then um afterwards she, she said to me, she came up and she was so grateful. And I just thought nothing of it. And she said, if you hadn't have helped me, I, I would have had an, an accident. I would have not made it in time. And there was... Um, <clears throat> the reason why that's so impactful is because um, just, just the simple things in life just being I was just being kind there was no self in that action um was doing what anybody would do and yeah and yet she was so grateful for me having done it simple act of kindness I guess and I that that woman actually came on two years later she came on one of my early early courses that I was running (laughs) Mm. because I was a qualified mindfulness trainer at that point then because I um after the initial participant course I You know, Robbie. I know it's a cliche, but that really did change my life. Being having this the structured teaching, um, doing it regularly, doing it daily myself as a personal practice, seeing feeling the benefits for me personally, but then also sharing in that group and seeing the benefits for everyone else. Yeah, I was hooked. I was convinced that this was going to be always be a big part of my life. And I um, I assisted then on, on Breathworks Cardiff courses, and then I trained. I trained with the main company in Manchester and took me about two, two and a half years to, to become fully accredited Breathworks mindfulness trainer. And then when I then started running my own courses in Cardiff, she was one of the participants. And I remember the, uh, I remember the day when the PayPal little notification came through, you know, and payment received, and it was, it was Penny. Yeah. yeah and, and again, on that course, she shared openly, and had everybody in tears. And um, yeah, just such such a beautiful spirit, despite working with such strong physical condition.
0: Yeah, wow! And what a nice, you know, what a great, what a great moment and memory, and seeing those, <laughs> seeing that connection. I guess. Yeah. And so, at that time. What was what was going on elsewhere in your life? Were you still working in the university? You'd moved on to other things? How how were things different then? I
1: um, I, I stuck with the PhD. I finished it. <laughs> I I kind of came to the realization that it would take me longer to get over not finishing it than it would just to get just to get the bugger done. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so I finished that in two thousand and eight. It was convenient and my wife was pregnant with my second child, I was second child at that time. So that was the ultimate deadline. <laughs> we had, had our boy Aled when when I was in my second in my PhD. And I think also that was a big part of it, Robbie, was that, you know, up until that point, my my MO in life was just head down, work harder. Head down work harder. And that would, you know, that perfectionism, you know, I'm a recovering perfectionist. <laughs> That's how I describe myself. And um i'm sure we'll we'll touch on the kind of the reasons for that with my mother and so on later um she had a muscle wastage disease uh and i was about 8 8 or 8 or 9 when when that diagnosis was 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 given and it impacted her and it impacted the family and you know all, all children basically want their parents to be happy and and i found out that if i did well at school then my was happy right it's pretty mm-hmm. simple <laughs> And you don't realize you create that blueprint in your mind at that age, of course. And I just went with that all the way through, you know, top grades in high school, top top degree in university, highest they've ever had, and then a PhD, right? But the the thing with a PhD was that with the environment changing, with the with my wife, with my son born, with my daughter on the way, that MO, that modus operandi, just head and work harder, that just could not continue. I could not continue. The environment didn't allow for that. And that was that was the D shift. It's like I've got to look at a different different way. And then I finished the PhD to come back to your question. I finished the PhD, um, and I, I did a six month uh, contract where I covered my 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 uh, supervisor actually when he was on sabbatical. I covered his teaching load, and um, that's an important part of the journey actually because one of the MSC uh, students that I supervised at that time. It was quite funny, and it is funny in hindsight. We used to do this, you know, stuff on the whiteboard, computational stuff to do with his MSc. and then he found out that I was then because um, this was this was in the kind of uh, early part of two thousand and nine, um, two thousand and eight, and uh, nine. Sorry, um, he was. He found out that I was starting to uh look into coaching started some training um i, I think i'd already maybe even purchased a podcast member, or i was going to uh, upw in 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 florida actually it was 2010 it was the year after um upw is unleashed the power within for those who don't know it's kind of tony robbins's signature program that he, he still runs today and this guy the student um was curious about this. He had also an interest in this, and we ended up doing informal coaching. So we used to do this, this computational stuff, and then we used to flip to to effectively me coaching him. Probably highly inappropriate to look back at it, but <laughs> but you know it was very separate, and we were both you know um, you know clear on on that. And actually, then when I left university, I, they wanted me to stay absolutely. And I remember my, my boss at that time, um, and I said, "I can't do this. You know it's not where my heart sings." And the question, he, said, he asked me a fantastic question. He said, can't, "Can't you do it anyway?" And that was such he doesn't realize this, and I think I've ever shared it with him, but that question he asked me, and I remember where I was sitting, I remember the office, and that question served me. It's probably one of the best coaching questions I've ever been asked when you take your client out on that path) <clears throat> of doing something that they don't really wanna do and they see it and they feel it viscerally, that absolutely not. Yeah. Basically, can, can I sell my soul really was the question, but not not put in those words. Can you just do it anyway? No, <laughs> no, we, we get what we settle for, we get what we tolerate. And I was not prepared to settle for a life of mediocrity where you know happiness was just a relief from stress as opposed to true authentic happiness. Absolutely not. And I, there was such a such a conviction in that moment within me. Um and I left. I left for the six months every thought. I was mad. Um I was fortunate in that my wife was a teacher. She had a uh, she had um income. Um but we had a house, we had a mortgage. Um we had we got a large mortgage. We had um, two children then, and yeah, people thought I was mad. And I, I left and I, I set up a coaching business which and I will go onto some show which kind of just failed miserably. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Let's get to that in a sec. But, but first so what a yeah what an amazing question and to be shown to see for you that you were not willing to do that. What a what a moment in life really. Can't you just do it anyway? No, actually. <laughs> I can't. But as everyone else was saying, you're mad to do this, what about, what about the mortgage? What about the children? <laughs> right, all that kind of thing. I don't know if they were saying it explicitly, but, you know, they may have been saying it implicitly and often, I'm sure, out of love. But, like, how was it, was it that answer to that question that gave you the conviction to do it anyway? What was it that gave you the conviction to do the thing that other people thought was mad?
1: Uh, I think there were lots of things, probably some which I've forgotten. Um, I think it was, it was definitely in part that question. It was my experience of the mindfulness course and knowing that I, I it's almost like, um, and I, I work when I, when we do kind of financial goals and so on with clients, when I do financial goals or we do it together with clients, I talk about, um, almost like a, a debt, in a light way, almost like a debt we owe the universe really, is that when we see something, we feel something, when we feel truth, <laughs> you know, when we when we experience something like meditation, separation from thought, and it impacts us so, so greatly. Whenever you get that kind of epiphany, it really is then a personal responsibility to go, go on and do what you can to, 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 to help others to see that as well. Um, And I certainly felt foul in the early days of trying to push that on others, as often we do as coaches in the early days. And now I'm a lot more wise around that. Um, But that was the conviction. It's like, and also as well, um, I realized probably through having my own coaching at the time, we model, we model what we do to our children. It's not but what we say, it's what we do. And if I was going to go in and, and do research every day and just do it anyway, which is what the question was, what, what on earth am I modeling to my kids? Yeah, you know, how, how hypocritical would that be to try and preach to them to go and do what they want in life but not do it myself? I, I, yeah, I couldn't do that
0: yeah nice, no, powerful stuff chris and I think yeah really important to remember um, so you ended up doing unleash the power within as part of this around this time. was there other coach training that you did?
1: Yeah, I did some training with uh, with Coaching Academy. I did training with NLP. I did uh, actually did NLP training with Richard Bandler and John Lavelle in in London. That was an amazing experience. Um, I did the mindfulness training um, that I mentioned with Breathworks. That took took two and a half years, and who I think I was recalling the days as, as prob I've probably been on some seven, I think nine day retreats as well a lot of the time in silence and that's been a big part of the kind of inner work um and maybe we'll talk about that you know the it's off it's actually said in the prosperous coach i know a, a book by rich litfin and steve Chandler' that's close to both our hearts
0: yeah
1: you can only take a client as deep as you've gone yourself so the inner the inner work whether it's pushed on us <laughs> as has been the case seven times, several times in my life or whether we actually move into that edge it's it's so important, and those those retreats experiences have been very very important for me. Um, and there's been other training as well, with um, quite varied, really, and broad. You know, Simon Coulson work um, on internet marketing, in fact, and Peter Thompson work with him um, on product creation. Um, Online stuff with with Michael Neal, um, and then more recently, kind of five Rich Litvin intensives. Four of those in America, and then uh, most recently, I've joined Project Kairos, which is the kind of new 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 version of the the salons that Rich used to run. That I believe you you went to as well. That's right. So that's you know that's kind of a a, a speckled history of the training. Yeah, just I, this is a kind of
0: a bit of a gear change, um, and we'll get back a bit to your story. But sure. a few times recently, people have asked me what I think about um, coach training for coaches when they're starting out, and I, you know I've got some ideas and I've given them some answers. But I guess I'm curious when you're working with or when people come to you and ask you about coaching, are there particular trainings you recommend people do? What you know are there? What do you say to people who are asking about those questions about should I get certified as a coach? All, all those kind of things. What feels important?
1: Yeah, I think it depends very much on the situation and on the individual coach. It, it is if you if you are going to be an executive coach and you're going to work primarily with corporates, <clears throat> then they will ask for that. They'll ask for certification. Uh, so if that's what your heart is calling you to do. Um, then you do that, right? Um, if you're not going to be an executive coach, uh, even though I work with executives, I've worked with senior VPs of Fortune 10 companies, then you can be a personal coach to executives and they pay you personally. And then you you don't actually need the certificate certification. You need experience, of course. Um, so I think this depends on the individual. uh Bead really does. What I do see a lot is is people um, doing training for the wrong reasons, doing it for the certificate. They push themselves through often years of of um, of being being molded into a into a box, and that's no criticism of the certification processes and in in different fields that's what it is you know rich litvin talks about it as putting the training wheels on right and you ride with the training wheels so the stabilizers we call them in the uk yeah and and that's important um but also sometimes if you do that for too long you've got to unlearn a lot as well um to actually drop into a, a deeper level of coaching you know if you watch and I recommend this to people watching this. The um, Steve Hardison video is often called the Deuce Latiri video. It's online if you just do a, a video search for Steve Hardison, who calls himself the ultimate, ultimate coach. You will see in that when he coaches a, a, um, a, a professional, used to be a professional um, NFL uh, player uh, called Deuce Latiri, a Tongan guy, you will see an example of coaching there, which is model on stage, which is a massive pattern break. That you would never find in any coaching manual ever, and it's so powerful for that guy. So, in in summary, I think it's individual. It's depends on what direction you want to go. If you do it, also I think realize that if you want to drop into a deeper level of coaching, you might have to unlearn a lot of the things. I think even you know Litfin recently said that he was on a. Can't remember what call it was, but it was it was a call, a, a large group call that we was coaching, and it was um, put on by one of the certification bodies. And at the end, somebody said, "Well, you you led your client there. You're not supposed to do that." <laughs> and he said, well, "I just did what I thought was right in the moment, and that's also what I do. And sometimes it's a pure coaching question. Sometimes it's a rant. <laughs> sometimes it's a massive pattern break." you just do what was what, necessary um so i think ultimately whatever direction whatever path you take if you want to move into that space then you you've kind of got to throw everything away so to speak in the moment does that make sense with your experience robbie
0: yeah no it really does in, in a in a bunch of different ways and um yeah, I should I, I should look this up because I think about it quite often. At some point, I used to read Seth Godin's blog a lot. I, I had I hadn't more recently, but there was a great one once about best practice. Like, there's a reason to learn best practice, and there's a real difference between knowing best practice and choosing not to do it than there is between just kind of you know uh, doing anything. Um, even if it might look the same, i.e., Rich might be really leading someone in that coaching, but the difference between him doing that and having been coached by an incredibly presence-based coach, so he's doing that from his deep presence. That's really different to um, someone who calls themselves a coach, but is actually essentially just a consultant or a trainer telling someone what to do in the middle of of the same essential moment. And uh, I think all that is all that is true and important. I,
1: Absolutely spot on. Absolutely spot on. Yeah, Rich, just like myself, done lots and lots of training. Like I spend about like four or five hundred dollars a year on books. Um, and you kind of and and the structure—that's the important thing as well. The coaches that begin do need structure. So some of them choose to do the uh, certification process to get structure. Fantastic, do that. I got structure. In fact, uh, Rich Waterman I mentioned earlier taught me a lot of structures taught me a lot of the Robin structure. Then I studied three principles, studied the work of Eckhart Tolle, studied the work of Byron Katie, <laughs> studied a lot of the coaching academy stuff. Even some of the training that I didn't actually do with the coaching academy, I had access to some of the materials. So I read and studied all of that. Um, so that's studentship, the real dedication of studentship to the art of coaching, that has to be there for, yeah, for yeah. authenticity and for integrity. Um, my personal experience is that I just love to l- go where my heart leads me, whether that's, a, you know, a, a Buddhist retreat, you know, where where there's where there's out of context, you know, people wouldn't get it, but in context it makes a lot of sense. Or whether it's a mindfulness retreat, a secular retreat, or whether it's three principles, or whether it's actually Tony Robbins to get that higher energy. The, that, that breadth that breadth of experience, breadth of training is really, I feel, you know, served me massively um, in my coaching career. So what's a very important message to to not leave people with is, is this kind of, you know, wing it. Absolutely not. You've got to become a student to your art. And what I think we're both saying is there's many ways to do that and you've got to choose the the way it's right for you. Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: And so to then go back a little bit where we were, it's great to have that bit of conversation. I think it's really valuable. It gives people a sense of you as a professional and, and the work that you've done and, you know, on your, for yourself and therefore for your clients in all kinds of ways. You touched on how the first business didn't end up going so well. Tell me about that.
1: I thought we were going to skip over that.
0: <laughs> well, it's too, it's too, it's too fun. It's too fun, Chris.
1: Oh, man. Um, yeah, I'm a very happy to share. Um, and I think it's also why I feel such an affinity with, you know, new coaches and why I'm very happy to do interviews like this, because you're sitting there as a new coach, maybe may even watching this, haven't got your first client. And then certainly you'll see, you know, and we'll go on to where my business is currently. And you can go into this comparisonitis, I call it. And it just doesn't serve anyone. You know these things are created like what do they say overnight success does it take about ten years <laughs> to create so it is important to talk about this period for sure for sure um yeah i i um so i i had um I, I did, I was working with the wrong clients um it was on a reactive basis rather than proactive in the sense that I was coaching people who came to me presented to me as opposed to reaching out and, and and looking for people who really interested me. Um and of course when you coach in that reactive way you've got no control really over your client base then is whoever shows up. Um session by session, not not contract based. And um often that's defended from the from the aspect of of uh, um you know flexibility and non attachment to the client, but actually it doesn't really serve them. Because you're not asking for commitment, You know, only commitment to the to the to the hour or two hours in, in, in you have in front of you, which is a very weak commitment, and then, of course, what happens is people take a pill, so to speak, they have a great session, they go away, they feel great, and then they forget <laughs> why they initially came to that first session, so long longevity of relationships isn't isn't there um, and If I can summarize it, it's um, one of the distinctions in in, – it's actually a great book by by Steve Chandler called Crazy Good. Fifteen distinctions highly recommended for people watching this. One of those distinctions is crazy good versus hard knocks, and that's different language for um, ownership mentality versus victim mentality. And, again, no judgment because I've been in both. I've definitely been the victim – but what was happening? at that point was that there was just too much of that energy coming into my coaching space, and at that time, it was all in person. It was all in my in my in my home, um, this home actually. And um, <laughs> it it takes its toll. People come in and empty their waste paper bin baskets on your desk and say, "Like sort this out," and you don't know any difference. So you try and help them sort it out. <laughs> that just takes its toll. So after a period, I actually stopped coaching. Um, because of that. And I think I see a lot of new coaches make that same mistake is because they don't filter heavily from the beginning. They they take on whoever shows up and try and out of the goodness of their heart, try and, try and serve them. They get that experience and they, they then globalize that and they think that is what coaching is. And if I compare that experience to my current experience, it's like absolutely chalk and cheese. Absolutely, like you know, my first coaching session was like fifteen pounds, twenty dollars, and probably I think it was about two hours long. And it was actually this this MSC student. He became my first professional client when I left university. We stayed in contact. He became my first professional client. He used to cycle, cycle from Cardiff to my home. He always used come late because of that and sweaty. <laughs> bless him and i used to put him down in my kitchen and on the breakfast bar and i had a whiteboard, and i just pummeled him i look back and i cringe and cringe sharing this but again it's important to share this because that's where i was at at that time and there was definitely service to him and i kept in contact and he went on and got a good professional job and engineer he's very happy um but he was probably the exception to the rule at the time in terms of of the ownership ng he he definitely had it, a lot of the clients didn't
0: yeah. so what what was happening that you know they were trying to give you outsource ownership of their stuff to you, and you were kind of accepting that, and so the change wasn't happening in the way that they wanted. is that is that right?
1: Yeah, in essence yeah yeah, yeah. and 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 you know to put it succinctly, they weren't prepared to do the work to do to do the inner work for themselves and then to, to to act upon the the actions that come from that. Recently I've uh, heard it described quite beautifully as uh, an insight always comes packaged with an action. Hmm. If it's a true insight, so a sight within, it always comes packaged with an out sight, so, so to speak, or probably an outer action. Um, So you can have the insight, but unless you actually follow through and take the outer action that that insight leads you to do, you you don't complete that circle. And there were people definitely having insights, but then they weren't putting them into into practice. And, you know, as a a coach, I'm sure you've had this experience deflating over time if you're working with people who are saying the right things, but not actually following through and making the changes in their own life.
0: Yeah. And and you've mentioned a few things that might have been contributing to that, including the way you were structuring the work you did. Obviously it was earlier in your journey, so I'm sure that the depth of work that you've done as, as that's happened has supported people in different ways. You know, and the filtering of clients. So, you know, was it all those things contributing or, you know, how have you changed, or like I guess first of all, and then let's get to what work looks like now and maybe what the lessons were. What do you think at that point were the main causes of that business not not taking off in the way that we'll get to your current business since you've picked coaching back up again really has.
1: Mm. Yeah, it's a good question. The the main, as many, the main you've pointed to some, um, not serving the right people, not only in my own value, so I'm not charging the right fees because fees are a uh, are also an important filter for commitment. Um, session by session, as opposed to you know 6 month 12 month contracts um and also as well um my own focus on on kind of website and 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 again this is another rabbit hole i see a lot of coaches go down is that focus on right i'm now going to spend my time designing a logo and then a website and then writing a free newsletter and then getting the word out about my coaching and um not actually Coaching, Co- coaching conversations lead to more coaching conversations, which lead to clients, which lead to invoices, which lead to money in.
0: It's a, it's a fairly solid. Uh, what do you call it? Flywheel, basically. I don't know if you know fl- the flywheel thing, from yeah. Collins. It's like if I do this, then I almost can't help have this happen. And you've just described a sequence of those.
1: And boy. How often people, including myself at that point, do things that are not that, that do not literally see the obvious beneath the nose. So, you know, going away and learning WordPress, or uh, well, I think it was Joomla then, what a waste of time. Just pay a professional to do it for you. <laughs> but of course, it serves. It serves the coach at the time because you think you're doing stuff and making progress and you are. But also it serves in keeping oneself in comfort zone <laughs> and um, I think Stephen Pressfield put it as well in his in his book in fact there's 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 three books the great books there's a lot of repetitiveness but they repetitiveness but they' great the war of art which is overcoming resistance I was in resistance and then there's turning pro turning professional as a mindset switch and then there's do the work and actually I think we'll in this conversation probably come on to points in my life where there was that switch of turning pro and more recently where there's been the do the work. But at that time, and I wasn't aware of it, there were, I was definitely working with, with resistance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I was really, Glad that I read The War of Art just before I started my coaching business because it got me into this place of okay, what about having a website? Is resistance for me, and what isn't? And almost all of it was. The bit that wasn't for me was um, it's useful if someone meets me and they Google me that they find me, right? So like that's that's the bit that's the reason I want to have a website, me personally. And but you could definitely do it without. And I know a few I've had a few people on the podcast who whose website is essentially. Uh, very successful coaches, full-time. Their website is essentially, uh, email me here. Uh, website coming soon, email me. You know, it's like, God, I, I, you know, you, you've had that for like that. There's one coach, Katie, who's had her website for the eight years, that I was, no, 65 years that I've known her. Yeah. It's like, obviously, the website is not coming soon. Her business is full. It's nothing to do with uh, whether she knows WordPress or Joomla, right? Uh, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, a,
1: a, a website, as I see it, certainly in regards to a bespoke one-to-one coaching practice right because we, it needs we need to set the context of what we're talking about here because it, I think it is different if you want to create something different but if you want to create that with a, with a handful or two handfuls of clients kind of you know we call it the prosperous coach approach because that book describes it well then the website, it's a, it's a, it's, it should really be, a, if you have one, a tick box exercise that, yes, there's a website, there's some story, there's professional, great. But actually, people make a make an investment decision based on their personal experience of you coaching them, not the website. Um, so it, it has its use, but it's nowhere near as important as, as newer coaches think it is. And... To, to use different language that some people might be familiar with, if you think of the marketing funnel, I hate the word funnel, like prefer colander, you've got holes in, people drop out. You know, I do not want people around me who don't get me. right. <laughs> so anyway, marketing colander. Um, with, 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 a, uh, with a coaching practice, really the value is at the bottom of the colander. There is the one-to-one engagement that can be at a significant level. But we often, coaches, start at the top. They think they need to get people into their funnel, so to speak. They, they do the website stuff. They do the – the, the, um, the um, and I know you know the irony of course we don't have a podcast here, but you're doing this off the back of a successful business. <coughs> That's the reason you're able to give this time today to, to do this interview and I'm able to give my time as well is because we've got the ground in there. We've got the sustainability there. But doing this first – it's about the order of things. Doing it first isn't a good thing before sustainability is not a good thing. Doing lots of free you know, newsletters and all of that before you've got the business. Because with coaching, you can actually just go to the bottom. You can slow down. You can open your, your uh, calendar. You can open your contact list. And then you can start to identify people who you know, maybe not your immediate circle of friends and family, but maybe the second circle, as I call it. Yeah. And and say, do you know that person? That person really excites me. I love what they're up to in the world. I'm curious about them. Um, yes, at the back of the mind, there might be something around possibly a client, but, but really that, that should be really at the back of the mind. It's just that I would love to spend an hour with that person. I'd love to kind of get into their brain and find out what's going on for them and their journey and so on, and then make the reach out. Make the reach out and serve them. Give them space to speak about what's going on for them. Michael Neal often says the great the greatest place to start from is the lamppost. If somebody left their work every day and crossed the street and leant against the lamppost and spoke to the lamppost for, for an hour or two hours, that would be an amazingly beneficial experience for that person to, to download, to listen to themselves to get clarity. If you're then the lamppost with a with a couple, I do mean a couple, a couple of really great questions. So your lamppost plus plus. Then you're an amazing coach. <laughs>
0: yeah, we get, we, this is this is actually a business idea, isn't it? I love that story of Michael Neal's, but this is perfect. You know, I've I've thought for a while that sh- at some point there should be Uber Coach, where you can get an Uber, but you get co- like your Uber driver has some coaching training, so they can coach you as you go. But actually, um, if we could just uh, you know the, the the AI needed to recognise someone walking up and ask them, you know what's the biggest thing you've learned from your day at work today? And then just wait for 58 minutes and then say, what's the action you're going to take as a result of this conversation? Then if we could put that into every lamppost everywhere, then that would be pretty, that would probably change the <laughs> change the world, wouldn't it? Um, Chris, I, I, don't, I don't want us to move on too much. I want to catch because you just gave people a beautiful way to reach out to begin creating conversations and I don't want to miss that for people who are listening because they may not have caught that what you actually gave was pretty much a dictation of a message you could send to someone so I just wonder if you know if you could just give that make that real like I heard it there but I wonder if you know if you were going to send a message you've got your your second circle List or or in your mind, you're bringing those people to mind. You think of the person. Would it be a message? Like, oh, and this, I'm not sure if this is how you would work now, or if it, if I'm asking about what you would suggest to someone who's just starting out, who who we want to give the tools so they can cut to the bottom of that colander instead of faffing around at the top in the kind of safe and uh, resistance filled website building and Instagram. So, what's the what you've sat there? You've got the. Um, the person in mind, the first person who comes to mind from that second circle in the way that you just described, how would you reach out or how would you advise people to reach out?
1: Yeah, and, the, you know, the website, and Instagram stuff, and i that's not important. It's just get to the place where you basically you can pay somebody to assist you with that. Yeah, that's the first thing. So how do you get to that place, which is your question? I, I still do it, yeah, because I believe in a created world. I believe in a created world. I do get really high-quality referrals now because I've been doing this 10 years. However, I still do reach out to people who I catch who inspire me. And sometimes, very often, they don't become clients, but I'm always paid in a great conversation. And occasionally, they do because they see there's a way in which I can serve them further. That reach-out question you've asked is a, is a great one because that, that approach you can create, if you stick with it and work through your resistance and work through your edge and reach out to people who maybe scare you a little bit. If you keep on doing that consistently, you will have the practice of your dreams. Um, I use various forms. I use some tech now more recently called loom.com, L-O-O-M.com. It's the same in in regards to recording a video uploading it to an unlisted YouTube link and then sending the YouTube link. But it's quicker, it's easier, and you get an email when somebody's watched your video. So you can send a private link to a private video to somebody that's a reach-out video, that's an invite, effectively, to a connection conversation, and you get an email when when they've watched it. It's really handy. Um, and then what to say in that video. I can give some guidance, for sure. It's I would keep it brief. I would um, call out what you've seen. And it has to be from the heart. It has to be authentic. It has to be real. It can't be trickery or anything in this because it'll just be seen (laughs) through. I mean, not seen, seen through. So it has to be that this person genuinely inspires you. Call out what it is that inspires um, you uh, in regards to, to, to them what they're doing maybe, who they are, what energy you've seen them put out, why you like that, what it means to you. Call that out. Um, and it could be just that. It could be like, I would love to have a connection call with you. And, and there's, a, there's a research angle to this as well. You know, often people uh, write books about, you know, successful women or successful men in the business field. And then they, that book gives the legitimacy of a reach out to have conversations. Now, You've got to be careful with that. If you're doing that, it has to be a legitimate research project, firstly and foremostly. If it leads on to growing your network and developing your network, which possibly might lead on to clients, then then that secondary has to be secondary. So the research project has to be authentic. That's one route in. But equally, you could just say, I would love to learn more about your journey. I would love to learn more about how you've got to where you've got to now. Are you open to a conversation around that? And then give them the out as well. If you're not, that's cool. And I hope you've enjoyed the video. That's kind of a soft connection approach. What could be a a, a little bit of a hard... That, that's more of an invite to a connection call. If you want to go, and you, you've got to be careful of this, of course, but if it feels appropriate to go to second base, which is to go to more of an invite to a more of a coaching call, then you can be a little braver and you can call out what inspires um, you about them. And also you can call out possibly something you've seen that's a misalignment. And again, you've got to be careful because you don't want to be projecting. That's one of the dangers of doing that is that you're just projecting something that is not there. But if you do do it, you can call that out. Um, and I, I did this recently with, with somebody who did actually become a group client. I said, look, I had met him. I'd met him in a, in a, in a different group environment. And um, so I got to know him a little bit. That's why I sent this particular video to him. And I said, hey, you know, um, I've got a sense of you in the group and I love your energy. And you've spoken about the business, your business not being in the place that you want it to be. And yet I've looked at your LinkedIn profile and you're a double best-selling author. And you've got all of this experience in hypnotherapy. You're an award-winning hypnotherapist. And there's a misalignment here. (laughs) And it's bugging me. possibly it may be to do with the transition from hypnotherapy to professional coaching. I don't know enough to say that, but maybe I'm seeing that. If you'd love a conversation around this, then I'd love to give you the time. I'd love to give you the hour. Let me know. Uh, If not, that's cool as well. And within five minutes, I had a a response that said, yeah,
0: you're spot on, and I'd love a conversation. And and what I love about both those is they're a gift in themselves, right? And it's interesting, people... So what I've noticed is there's, there's sometimes when people are trying to get into this space of reaching out, you know, those either for something like the connection piece or uh, an invitation in some way, it feels very difficult. There's a good vulnerability to it, and that's real, and there's a fear of rejection to it. And for some of us, that's kind of deep and part of our stories, and so that's real. And one of the mindset shifts that really helped for me was getting into that space, you know, that thing. And like you said, it's got to be from the heart. But if you give people – if you say – look, actually, I was just thinking about the people that I know. And I thought of you because you inspire me and here's why. And like you say, tell them from the heart. Then what a beautiful message that is to receive. And similarly, actually, the way you talked about, I get that it's a bit bolder with that guy, but actually what you were giving him was this gift, you know, was the option, at least for a gift, which is I've forgotten how big I am, basically, you know, big, I don't mean that in a kind of celebrity way. Like I've forgotten that I've got I've got this inside me, this double best-selling author bit, and you show him that. And it sounds from the story like there was a misalignment there. And, yeah, it could have been that transition. But what a gift in and of itself. And, you know, that's a great – for those people when – well, any of us, when we're struggling with something, it's like make the thing in itself worth it. And if we want to invite people into coaching conversations, make the invitation – in and of itself regardless of the response worth sending um and a bit to call it back it might not quite work but it it feels a little bit like what you were saying actually about um seeing the potential in in the gap between the thoughts and yourself and feeling like i have to tell people this it's like find the thing that actually you kind of have to tell the person because it's important to them and then tell them and if that's and give them the option for more perfect
1: the dis- ab- absolutely, the distinction you've drawn out there, Robbie, is the um, the distinction that a an invite to a conversation is a gift to that person, not a request for yourself. <laughs> That's the distinction. Yeah. And when coaches get into the second mindset and feel that they are asking effectively in their head what it is they're asking for somebody to be a client that's why they don't reach out because nobody wants to do that that's that's that, that's such you know that's needy um the first mindset is completely different it's whereby you 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 the invite is the gift and as with all gifts the person can accept it or they can say no thank you <laughs> but that's not our work that's their work our work is simply to where we see that there are gifts that we can offer to to offer them that's it
0: mm, really nice there's a few places we could go from there but i want to i want to just kind of fill in the gap first before we before we get into any more detail around stuff like that which is there was this business and it it wasn't it didn't go so well you know some of that was about being reactive not proactive and structuring sessions and fees in, in perhaps the wrong way um bring us like bring us to where you are now and it, you know if it feels like there are important things that you want to check that we haven't hit in your story yet then then, then by all means do but but where's your business like right now and and maybe particularly actually let me re-ask that question but <laughs> you, you stop coaching for a while What brought you back to it, actually, that? I'm more curious about that. And then let's get to where you are right now and and everything that's happened in between.
1: Yeah, yeah, let's fill in the blanks because there's important important ones. Um, In that period where it wasn't working, rather than looking at how it could work, (laughs) I made the mistake of getting distracted. And one of the things I got distracted by was an investment opportunity. And i I'd, I'd done um, I'd done some homework for sure. It was um, my brother-in-law, and um, I had observed what was going on for him. And in the day, he came to stay with us and pulled up in his Porsche. It's like okay, for the first time ever, I'd started asking him in in in, in that in that stay conversations about what was going on. <laughs> Basically, what was he doing? Um, and It was something he'd been involved with for a couple of years. He'd put money in. uh, with his foreign exchange trading, um, done very well. He pulled a lot of money out, and um, I said, "How much is it doing?" He said, "It's doing five percent." I said, "Not too bad, you know, because what you get these days, you know, what one, two percent if you're lucky uh, per year." And he said, "No, five percent a month." And I said, oh, right. <laughs> okay. Um, and I did that, did the maths, and I quite quickly realized you don't have to have much in really to to get what you need monthly to, to live off that. <sighs> and and that's what we did, and it really worked very well. Um, that was about September, I think it was. I had the conversation with him 2010. Um, and then four years later between myself and my wife and then my parents we had a joint account value of 1.4 million dollars um, that was the the value of the accounts the, the the actual money we'd put in was uh, dollar wise probably half, half a million um, and then the email came in December uh, 2014 December the 3rd <laughs> I remember it. It was a Wednesday. (laughs) And it's just one of those memories, I think, that would always stay with me. I've reframed it now to be a positive one. It wasn't at the time. And there was the email from the trader admitting that it was a Ponzi scheme. He didn't say those words, um, but just admitting that all the assets were gone. Uh, And actually, that's a long answer to your question of also why I stopped coaching is because I didn't need to. Mm. and um i'd spent i i spent the time looking after my daughter which is an incredible thing to do i'm really pleased i did that i i, I, I stopped um the coaching and spent the time looking after her when she was preschool um when we had some got some great memories she's still recounts them now i'm pleased that came of it um the the um i and i still also did some training work one of the things we haven't touched on is that i i, I do Um, still do actually a little bit, of training to PhD students. Again, giving back, you know, because I didn't have the training and coaching that I I needed when I was a PhD student. Um, And the irony is that that was all paper money. (laughs) And that was a big insight after the event, was just look back and think, well, I felt completely different. I felt free. I was able to do these things, like look after my daughter, it was probably, from honest, even closer to my heart than coaching at that time, right? And yet, it was all made up. The whole thing was made up. Yes, I pulled money out of it, but the all of the trades, all of the count values—it's all made up, <laughs> fabricated. And that that point, I remember the day. Um, I had the email, I, I walked across the land in my house, I sat on my son's bed and I felt cold. Um, but I felt inspired. And again, that kind of that's probably it's not um it's it's not um what's the word, standard, it's not um normal. I can try to find the word, but um It's not a regular kind of way, but that was my best investment in coaching ever was that money that I paid (laughs) that trader. (laughs) Um, Because what that gift gave me was that turning pro that I mentioned in in, in Stephen Pressfield's second book, The Turning Pro. I turned pro in in, in a heartbeat. It was like, okay, game on. And then I look to what my skills are. Well, I can go back to academia, um, which actually I did for a period. Maybe we could talk about that and why that was important. But what do I really want to commit to here in my life? And it was 100%
0: coaching, 100%. And, and let me check, the turning pro. Oh. Tell me the thought process that led to that. If you can, like you don't not I've no, 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 no. thought obviously, but I just want to check. Yeah. It feels like there's a few things about that situation that might have put you in that place. There's some kind of seeing what's happened. There's a sense of just the shift. There's that insight about it's all made up money. And, you know, this is this weird thing, right? And it's hard. I don't have it much of the time, all the time. But, you know, money is, it's all made up these days. There's no gold at the end of it anywhere. It's, it's all a, a promise, pixels on a screen, you know, the whole time. But this is an amazing, you know. Thanks, universe, in some ways, I guess, for showing you that in that way. But that's going on. But also there may have been a financial pressure that you're like, I need to turn pro now because I need money. And and so what was it that that took you into that place, which then picked coaching up and sent you back to academia and all that kind of thing? Yeah,
1: Ooh, um, there was a financial pressure. We'd remortgage the house uh, <laughs> to put another whatever it was at the time, 70-odd 70, 70 K in. <laughs> Um, that was on top of the first mortgage. Um, we had maybe five thousand left in, in in the accounts in, in, in our um, individual and joint accounts, and that was it. Um, my wife did have a job, um, but she was a, she was a teacher and she didn't love that job. And that was another transition later we might come to. Um, so there was the financial pressure for sure. There was also the realization, a humbling one, that I'd lost track, had lost track. You know, go back to that conversation with my supervisor and can you just, can't you just do this? And then that, you know, the, 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 the connection with mindfulness and connection with coaching and knowing that I wanted to put this out into the world, and I'd, I'd got sidetracked. You know, one of the one of the, in Buddhism, the, the three um, poisons: of greed, hatred, and delusion. So, greed and delusion, <laughs> they were there, and I, you know, is one hundred percent own that. Um, you know, got sidetracked into a passive income, right? Um, and sometimes there were there were there were ten grand month plus months without doing anything, just from investment money. Um, but that just ultimately did not serve me. That did not serve me at all. It took me off off, off kilter. It took me away from True North. Um, some great things came of it, as I say, with the daughter and so on, and spending time with Anwen. Fantastic. I wouldn't change that for the world. But when that email came, there was just a part of me that said sort "Ah, of oh, right, Fant- finally, finally now. I've got no, the back's against the wall. I've got no other option than to go for this. And somebody said, I think it was actually in the first retreat retreat, no, retreat intensive I went on in London back a, two and a half years ago, uh, 2017, September. Um, somebody said to me, wealth is what you have when all your money's gone. And I think they just said that. It wasn't in respect to me. It was just said in an open forum. And I thought, you have no idea. <laughs> I got to feel that mm. almost, almost literally when all all your money's gone, most of it, and also don't forget my inheritance. <laughs> if that's not there,
0: yeah, and there's some I, the relationships must have been, you know, having those conversations must have been yeah. difficult, you know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they, you know, it. I, I was, I was doing a few little just notes before before our call today, and this this came up,
0: <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. So, so is there, for people who are listening in, it's the headline, £130 million pound yeah. fraud trader vanishes. Is that the guy? That's the guy. Right. Wow. That
1: is the guy. And I have to say, obviously, for the purposes of recording, um he hasn't been prosecuted yet. It's still five and a half years on since that email. And because of coronavirus, it's been delayed, delayed, delayed recently. So... And that's that's the you know that's the um, daily one of the main daily papers we have here. Yeah, he made the front page, and I remember actually buying that copy in in the shop. It was actually next to my dad's dad's house in the, in the Welsh valleys, lovely beautiful place I grew up. And I bought that, and one of the local guys looked over my shoulder and he said, "Oh, you know," in his really, even thicker Welsh accent, than me, he <laughs> said, "Oh, I bet he's going to have a great Christmas." And I I just thought, oh my god, you have no idea, and I just caught myself and i turned to him i said maybe but i wouldn't like to live in his head
0: Mm.
1: and i think that served me in actually saying that because i could have easily fallen into victim there and many many of the investors did and then they got caught in then you know spending more money on 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 solicitors and trying to get the money back and, and and all of that and i just like no I I did my part. I have given all my evidence and so on. But in terms of putting bad money um, uh, or good money after bad, absolutely not. That was just what I had to pay to get that lesson. And I got it and I've taken it. And in my mind, when I got that email, I sat on my son's bed and I was processing it. That was the mindset flip of turning pro, turning professional. It's like, okay, game on. What's your life going to be about, Chris? What are you going to do? What are you going to commit to? Who are you going to serve? How are you going to serve them? What level are you going to serve them? Uh, when are you going to start? No, yeah, let's, let's do this. Um, and that was it. That's what I've done since. And so then what happened? What did you do? Um, well, the first thing I did, paradoxically, was I got support network uh, or a, a net in place. I realized that if I'm going to build a coaching practice authentically, then I can't rush the process. And I, I, I need, I need income. So um, I got, um, and actually this was actually just before the email, because I should say there was about a year where we were trying to get money out and there's excuse after excuse after excuse. So this wasn't a complete surprise, but it wasn't still a surprise because even two weeks before we would fed the story of it's to do with, you know, legislation in the U S and the money can't be released and all that very convincing stories. But I, I, prior to that, put a safety net in place in, in respect to uh, going back to academia. And I took a part-time uh, lectureship um, back at, uh, at the School of Engineering, Cardiff University, um, and I, I'd never burnt bridges, ever. Um, and I've, um, there are two ways to transition, and this is applicable, I think, to many probably listening or watching this, is that many will be transitioning for corporate career, or academia or some form of career into coaching. There's two ways to do it. You can either separate and just make a jump, or you can gradually build one so that the other has to has to drop away. I did the jump the first time and then I put the put the net back in and then actually it was only last year that I actually then finally let go of that part-time contract that I took back in 2014 in in the in the autumn and the fall there. It was only five years later, the last uh, autumn, 2019, that I actually stopped that. It was, it was kind of when, when I'm employing my wife and when I'm earning in half a day what I was earning in a month, I think, okay, Chris, you've got to stop this now. <laughs> um, but that that was really important, to have that consistency, to have somewhere to go out of the house, to have, have regular meetings, to be able to serve in a, in a different way, to be able to use the left of my brain as well as the right of my brain. To have, and I say, to have that that wage check um, as, as well, a payment that allowed me to then create the coaching business in place of non non neediness. Um, because I, I I've, I've actually never, don't think ever, since that point, ever needed a client to make ends meet at all,
0: and that's massive, massively helpful. Yeah, no, I, I had that in my. Story as well, and to a certain extent still do. I have bits of coaching work, which essentially in different ways, you know, and facilitation sometimes and that kind of thing, which they're not the, they're not what I would sometimes, sometimes they are, but they're not always what I would call the kind of zone of genius bit. Um, But they're great. And they mean that the mortgage is never on the line, basically. When, it, when you're sitting with somebody and they're a prospective client. The mortgage, of course, is on the line in some way in those conversations, but it, the, the feeling of that, the story of that is, is much easier to share. And so then bring us up to date. So you, you left the lecturing role finally last year. I love that thing. It's like, ah, oh, wait a sec, I'm employing my wife and I'm making way more money. Why am I doing this? And I'm sure there were good reasons. And it, and it obviously started for a really good reason. I love that kind of realization. So what if, uh, if we were meeting for the first time now and, and you had ten, five, you know, five minutes to tell me what your current business and work and, l- and life looks like, what, what's important about how you work and how you serve and what you give to the world? Hmm.
1: I, I've always had an affinity to um, serving other coaches. I, um, I think it's probably because I made so many mistakes along the journey. Um three years ago, I started doing um my first group work with um actually Rich Waterman. Rich has been part of my journey pretty much throughout in, in various forms, um, and is is now my my current coach. And we started a, a business venture together called TS bock The Secret Business of Coaching. Um and not that we wanted to keep it secret, quite the opposite. We wanted to share. So many of the hard, hard won really um, insights that we'd both had in the growth of our coaching businesses, some of which I shared today. Um, we started that, and that process of um, those mastermind groups um, led on to the creation of 108 video series, 20 hours of video um, that we, we now offer as a separate kind of entry level. Uh, kind of two 000, two thousand two and a half thousand dollars. it would be into two thousand sterling um, option for people who who can't come in at the my group or one to one level. Um, and I think that that journey of just owning my zone of genius, owning the work that I love to do, i.e., so, so, so serving coaches, um, it's not exclusively my client base, but largely my client base. I think it's been a gradual journey of stepping more and more in, into that. Um, I definitely were the things
0: that kind of held you back from stepping into that.
1: Yeah, yeah, there were, and some of them are kind of only been recent realizations in the last year. And and it's, I think one of them was sometimes the story that's perpetuated around um, you know coaches coaching coaches, and only, only only that being the case. And I actually sat with that one day. I thought, well, let's put left brain into gear you let's know, do this uh, assessment objectively. And I, I wrote to my clients and I wrote down what I knew about my clients, clients through coaching them, because obviously a big part of working with the coaches is supervision. And I wrote on what I understood about their client makeup, so to speak. And in none of the cases, really maybe may some of them had a couple of clients who were coaches, but the vast majority of my clients, clients weren't so can this kind of hierarchical thing that's often talked about just does not exist so get over yourself Chris yeah really seriously what are you doing you're not owning the work that you love to do the work that is is your zona genius the work that really lights you up the work that's so in-depth and multi-leveled because you've got coaching them as a human being your mentorship supervision the art of coaching the business of coaching all of this stuff you know these kind of multi layers and if you've got clients or coaches you'll you'll experience have experienced this richness of conversations and i I love them the fact that coaches are also able to self-coach a lot so you can go to a deeper level a lot quicker why are you not owning that that's ridiculous so it's literally only about kind of four months ago maybe that I actually finally changed my LinkedIn profile to call out that. Mm, nice. It says something along the lines of now, you know, when you know you're a great coach but feel like the world's best kept secret, who do you turn to for help? And that, just that brand, I guess, marketeers would call it a brand question. Um, but it's a, it's just, it's a question. It's a question that I've found definitely for me is landed, and for the work, people I work with, the coaches I work with now is definitely landed when they know they've got so much to give and they know actually when they're in front of somebody, the right person, they can really serve deeply and the conversations, go deep, but it's like, they feel this frustration that the world doesn't know about them more. They feel the frustration about they, they haven't got the, you know, the, the those people in front of them regularly enough and you know, what's going on there up- upstream of that. Um, so, in in, in sense of giving the picture of, of where the business is at, the um yeah, you know, that's very good state. The the last couple of months have both been six-figure creation months. Um and yeah, that is correct. <laughs> you know, some 290000 dollars of creation work in the last two months. Not 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 fully money in, of course, because some of it is is um will come in uh, as contrast progress in some, some instances, some of is, is up front.
0: And how much of that is the balance? What's the balance between the kind of the groups? The, the sounds like there's a kind of product that people can buy there as well. There's some, maybe some one-on-one work, potentially still some, there might be training work that you're doing. So What, what does that kind of balance look like these days?
1: Um, yeah, I suppose I shouldn't know those figures off the top of my <laughs> head. I don't. Um, Balance is still very much largely in the one-to-one work. Um, I I look to keep about 10
0: clients in terms of one-to-one. Um, and, and, and they're mostly now coaches, although they haven't they weren't, they haven't always been that way. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah they're mostly now coaches, and they're mostly coaches who've already um yeah, and to invest at the and middle and high six-figure level, I've got those kind of two options, then they've already got some good traction, of course. Um, but are looking, looking to
0: move into that island beyond themselves. Um, and what are the? Sorry, did you say middle and level, middle and high, f- six-figure or five-figure for those investments? Just to it's give people high, an idea, yeah. five-figure. Yeah, and yeah. and yeah. just give for a flavour of people for people who aren't in those conversations. Right, these people are already obviously to make that investment have got a track record of success. What are the conversations with those people like? Like, why do you think they? What is it about the way you serve them that makes them say, or the way you speak to them in those conversations that makes them f- you know, f- feel like this is the right investment for them?
1: Yeah. The um, And what I should say as well is that um, when I talk about traction, um, very often it's that they have been coaching for many years, but part of their corporate work, for example, or part of their entrepreneurial work, you know, one one client um, is an is a an estate attorney, estate planning attorney from um, from the United States, running a, a business of a couple of million dollars turnover. She's actually been coaching her staff for years, so that's important clarification as well. It's not always that they can start working with me when they've got traction in their own individual coaching practice. Um, to answer your question, I believe. It 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 comes down to to space and to presence and to impact and to legacy and to heart. <laughs> um many, if not all, of the clients that I now work with, I would say all actually, in regards to this, are a, what I call heart-centered, which is a word that's banded around and not really defined but they, they're doing it, they've, they've, they've got the conventional success. You know, there the, are the different levels of success, struggling, striving, conventional, and extraordinary. They've got the conventional success, uh, the financial success is there and so on, and, and often it's there as well in relationships as well and family. But they're looking for something more. They, um, they haven't yet got the success they want in, or very often, their meaning aspect of their world. Hence, why coaching often comes up for those people as a mode, a modality to serve powerfully in the world, to create the meaning that they so very much desire. And the financial success of that is secondary, (laughs) they just want to impact. They want to make a difference to people's lives and they want their legacy to be through that difference. It's like um, the king and kingmaker. I was speaking with um, uh, David Taylor Klaus, who you might might know, he, he has the expression king and kingmaker. And we have this conversation of whether you're the king or the kingmaker. Can you be the king through being the kingmaker? And I think. When we coach often sometimes we have a presence of of course but very often the deepest presence we have is not a public presence but it's in the actual presence in all of the lives of the clients we've served over the years and currently serve and in the lives of the people that those clients go on to impact and um and time is time is short one thing we we haven't touched on um, is the unfortunately, in, in, in this period as well, there's also been the death of my mother. mother. Um, one of the convictions I made after after the money was lost was to repay that money back to my parents, even though I didn't need to and they didn't ask for it. But it was a conviction to be able to walk in and pay the seed money back to them that they'd invested because I'd made them aware of it. Um, my mother passed um, just over four four years ago. And the reason I mention that is because I don't know if you've had this experience. I don't think we've spoken about this in, in our first call. Um, but when somebody close to you passes away and it was sudden, it wasn't expected, even though she had a muscle wastage illness, um, she had a sudden heart attack and, and passed when I wasn't there. And I went to went to see her body the following day. And and again, um, I, I, like with the money thing, I I sat there and asked myself, how can I u- use this experience? How can I how can I reframe this experience? And what what showed up for me very strongly was impermanence. Obviously, because you know somebody you've known for like I think it was about thirty thirty eight was then years of your life is is lying there, but she's not there. She's gone, um, and. How, how can I use this experience? How can I? How can I even serve even more deeply in my coaching practice f- from this space? And I, th- I think the reason I mention that is because I think that's been a big part of it as well. Um, many, but not all, my clients have had similar experiences, but they they they're definitely very much in touch with impermanence. And they're in touch with the with the importance of needing to live authentically and live from their truth daily, and to model that. And then that energy gets taken into how they go out into the world, and all the client creation stuff just comes from that. It comes from that. If you go out with an open heart, willing to share, willing to be open, you know, it's often called vulnerability. I don't see it as that. It's just sharing. People make of it what they, what they will. But it, it's real. That's it, Robbie, I think. It's real. And um, when I work with clients, we, we don't do loads of goal setting. We don't do loads of like, targets. We don't do accountability. We don't do that stuff. It's kind of there under the surface. What we do do is just slow the heck down. <laughs> slow down. Breathe. And then look within as to where the insights are for them. What are are their life lessons? What are their deepest learnings? Where the value lies for them and other people in sharing those deepest learnings. And then how are you going to do that? (laughs) How are you going to do that? Because if you do do that, I am moved listening to you share your story. If you do that, other people will be moved as well, and some will just want to spend more time around you know around you, and that's where the business, the client stuff comes from. But it's secondary. So I feel like I ramble there. I'm not sure if I've answered your question.
0: It's it's, it's not a ramble at all, because it's exactly what you were just speaking about with those clients. It's what matters to you and what's important to you and what are you going to do about it? And yeah, it's a beautiful, beautiful story and a beautiful way to talk about your mother. Um, I think there is something... You know, I was thinking about about death a little bit earlier on, actually, when you were talking about sitting on the bed, having got the email. There's something about those experiences. I think there's even research that says that, for example, CEOs who have had near-death experiences tend to be better leaders than ones that haven't. And I think that's because that sense of impermanence and, you know, does gift us a lot. Hmm. Um, mm.
1: I I feel I I live, it's almost a um, a paradox. I feel I live um, very much in the flow of emotion but but liberated from the emotion. Um, You know, money, attachment to money is very loose because I've lost it all. (laughs) Even even life, you know I've seen how that can be lost. the attachment to protection and there isn't there as well um, yeah, nothing more exhilarating than, than going down sixty miles an hour on a on a French kind of alpine road on a, on a road <laughs> bike when you've got literally skin and a meter between you and pain and I I, I I know where my limits are, of course, but just the exhilaration of that. Um, hmm. You um. There's there's a there's an archetype that Steve Chandler talks about in a couple of his books, the wealth warrior and and, and also time warrior, and, and the, I, I I relate to it. I'll mention it here. The warrior archetype of. He he phrases it as dying before going into battle, um, and I think you you talked about death. I think it is sometimes it's quite a literal death of people, but sometimes it's death of the former self as well. And the Joseph Campbell hero's journey is about that. It's about you know going around that circle and 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 facing a death of former self and coming back into the previous kind of world a different person. And I think what my what my journey is, as um, the, certainly the cards I've been dealt and I've chosen as well, is is multiple deaths and um, that, and I'm sure there's many to come. <laughs> um, but coaching from that space, I, I, I think if I were to summarize everything here in terms of the space I create within my coaching with clients, no, it's coaching from that space that I feel they based on what they've said, feel is most impactful. Almost the higher level of coaching is transference. And the irony is that I'm saying a lot today, but actually I'd say very little in sessions. So much about the transference of energy. So they they, they leave with a deep deeper-seated confidence because their they safety and security is no longer based on the, their story and it's based on more fundamental human principles of, you know, are they breathing? Yeah. Can they love? Yeah. Who are you going to love then? <laughs> Do that. And it, it sounds so simple and pure and, and it is, you know, powerful call coming from that space.
0: Yeah. And, you know, there's a beautiful, for people who are interested in, you know, there's a beautiful chapter in um, The Meaning Revolution by Fred Kaufman uh, about, and I think it's the, the Buddhist phrasing is die before you die, right, which is the same thing as the samurai or the wealth warrior, uh, you know, die before you go into battle. It's the same piece. It's like, and the same as Joseph Campbell, let those, let, those, um, let those past parts of us, past selves, this current ego die um, on the hero's journey. I, um, for people who are interested, uh, like there's some great exercises in that chapter in Kaufman's book. And I once had, you know, seriously, one of the most powerful coaching conversations I've ever delivered because I decided to write an article. I just read the chapter of Kaufman's book. I wrote an article about it. One of the things he says in that he says he asks in all his workshops is, um, he gets people to think, just imagine you only had three minutes to live. Who would you call and what would you say? And they they get some time to reflect on that. Mm. And then... (laughs) you know, just, this is important because you might not know when you've only got three minutes to live and you might not have a phone. And so I was just, so I wrote this piece, including that. And then I was, you know, the way I work is if I'm going to tell people about something, I need to be able to do it. Like I need to have done it myself and everything else in this piece had that in it, but that bit I hadn't done. And so I sat there for a minute and I was like, I've got to do it. And so I called my wife and it was like, You know, I kid you not, it was like the moment in the film where the guy is flying the helicopter with the nuclear bomb on it to save Los Angeles or whatever, and he calls his wife, and my wife was at work on her way to yoga, so I can't even tell her why I'm calling. So I am just having this very pleasant conversation with her, but with with tears coming out of my eyes down my face because there's this just sense of then in that moment, the idea, just the invitation into the space of what really matters in three minutes. And then what happens in the next coaching conversation I think, Well, of course, it comes from that place and there's no small talk, you know, and there's no messing around and there's no sort of politeness. But that doesn't mean there's no love, right? It's like there's this just this very powerful conversation which with that client redefined, I think we still had a year, it was a two-year contract. So I think we had another year of work or something and it redefined that other year basically because because of that space. I guess the reason I'm sharing that it's partly just because it, it feels present in the conversation and partly just because you don't have to wait for something really tragic in your life to happen to be able to get to grips with sense of mortality. And I wonder if there's anything that you... It sounds like one of the things you do is you bring that presence to your clients so that they receive some of it from you and they, they get into that space. And, and because of what you're bringing, you're asking the questions and reflecting the things which come from kind of free of ego and from deep presence and deep love. Is there anything that you offer to clients as a way for them to touch into that space? Yeah. Or anything that you would offer to listeners who want to do that?
1: Yeah. I um, often uh, take clients through the rocking chair, um, exercise as I call it. And, and that's, um, Whereby they take themselves to the um end of their life in this current form, at least in this body. And they um they, they surround themselves with their grandchildren great grandchildren, and they um hear the question, you know, tell me papa or tell me mama, what have you done in your life? And they get to answer that question to their to their great grandchild. Um and that's a powerful exercise it is because we get to write the narrative there from the end um and that's only ever the direction it makes sense <laughs> <laughs> um and and that often helps clients to be very succinct and focused about re- what's really important to them in in the life that they have had and of course when they move back to present moment the life they want to then create um their true north so to speak and um there's a further paradox i'm kind of quite aware here we're talking about death and mortality and impermanence and so on and the um and that's important very important part of the work um the kind of formless sometimes it's called in coaching the inner work the formless work what's also important is to mirror that with the outer work um to then ask the client, okay, how is this going to show up in your life over the next week or two weeks before we speak next? What's going to change in terms of your actions? Um, and I think that is very important. It's allowing them to process what they have gone through there in those inner, deep inner work exercises, uh, one you shared and the one I shared. and And, and then live that live from that space be the difference so to speak in the in the world and um the paradox is really that um there's a playfulness there's a real playfulness that definitely comes out in me i think it's hidden sometimes but certainly in longer retreats that i've been on i get very mischievous um in the kind of fourth fifth sixth day and so on playing pranks and all that and um I love playing with my kids, even though sometimes I kind of need some time to get into that that space. But when I'm in there on the trampoline or whatever is my daughter's, so it's fantastic. And that's um, as we move to the end of this conversation, that's really a message I wanna wanna put out there is um have fun. Just just have a ball with this. Um, if you need to pay the mortgage, get a job. And then get your, as as I did, and it seems you've done as well, get 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 the job, do the blue-collar work or whatever it is and get that, get because that, it's no fun. It's no fun trying to create um, in this bespoke way we've talked about, a, a, a coaching business when you've got true scarcity. Get a job. Once you've done that, then allocate some time and then just have fun with it. P- play Play with it. And you can play in a deep way as well. The play definitely play, playfulness, fun, lightness, non attachment. Um, there's a little acronym I'll share here, people can use as a mnemonic, and that is J A R non judgment, non attachment, non resistance. Non judgment, non attachment, and non resistance. That's a lifetime's work. <laughs> if, you ever, <laughs> if you ever get there, give me a call because I, I want to know. <laughs> But as yeah. an aspirational quality to live by, that non-attachment, non-judgment, non-resistance are um, a light, yeah, Yeah.
0: And playful. Yeah, Chris, it is a beautiful time and and frame to start bringing the call to an end. Oh, before we do that, or, or before we go, I want to know what are you? Ex- what have you like? What are you excited about in your work? Go- looking forwards. What have you got coming up? Or what are you? What are you working on?
1: Yeah. Um, that's a great coaching question. You show promise, Robbie. <laughs> it's a standard. Uh, it's a standard joke that I often have uh, yeah. <laughs> with my own coach. You know, you show promise. Um, yeah, it's. Um, I'm really, really very grateful. Uh, that's what's shown up for me in the, in the present moment, and I an mean, immense amount of gratitude. I think sharing this journey with you today has brought that upon me in this moment Um, there's a lot of people who have helped me on the way um, including clients um, including my uh, coach Rich who I talked about including yes all of my clients and including my wife and family as well so I just want to put a note of gratitude to them Mm -hmm. at this juncture Um, wife has especially supported me immensely over the years and now of course in, in the business as well in terms of moving forwards, I, um, yeah, there's the earning thing of seven figures. You know, obviously, with the last couple of months, that's a very real uh, trajectory mm-hmm. now. Um, so, the next year or two, that, that, that will happen.
0: Um, and it's worth catching, isn't it? You said a beautiful thing in, uh, in emails we exchanged before this call. It is worth pulling those numbers out for people to know that it is possible to do that. Through running a coaching business, and to you know, thank you for sh- being willing to share those numbers. The idea that in the last couple of months you've, I don't know what you, you call it, creating, or signing the contracts worth, yeah. you know, six figures each month. That seven-figure annual target is there. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's important that people know that that's that kind of thing is possible. Um, uh, but but I want to ask you though about before yeah. we finish, yeah, you've also yeah. got this. We talked about it last time, right? The million <laughs> dollar experience.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I have. And it's um it's it's even though that's the title and it the fee is a million dollars, um, and it'll likely be an 18-month, possibly twenty more four month engagement, completely bespoke, completely bespoke to the individual and very probably involving other other professionals as well, possibly other coaches. It's um, it's not a it's not about the money. It's actually about having that playground to play at that level. That's the exciting thing for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I already spend significant time with my one-to-one apprentice, apprentices. Um, very often, conversations are two hours long, and sometimes with a with a higher higher level ones, they're two and a half hours, and we get together for for day periods as well. I love that I absolutely love that space and I love love this what comes from space and the ability to, to drop deeper and um, that's really why the million dollar experience is so exciting It's that playground that um, a a fee of that that size allows both people to play at my my suspicion my intuition tells me actually that that person will be no different really to the people I currently work with. the only difference possibly is that the conventional success level that they've achieved so far is just a higher level. So that level of investment is perfectly doable for them. I was speaking with somebody recently who used to be an office manager for a billionaire, and they had a a whole entire floor of seven financial advisors simply dedicated to the management of their own money. That's an investment firm just dedicated to the management of the family's money. Nobody else is. So we've got people like that all around us and that, that's a UK-based um, family. There's people like that all around us and I spoke with this woman and she said, yeah, they take the bus, they take the train. <laughs> so it'll be somebody who's just got that level of, of, of conventional success already and is very likely looking for more meaning. They're looking for mm. space, looking for meaning and very possibly coaching would be the modality for them that they end up um, creating that meaning in, the, in their world, and maybe philanthropy as well. And um, that's, I think that's it. It's just the excitement um, to work with somebody in in that playground that's really appealing. So thank you for the question. Thank you for reminding me of it. It was there, and I was kind <laughs> of uh, – it feels edgy to share it, yeah. um, but a lot less edgy than it did a year ago and And I think within a year it's probably very likely to happen feels energetically that it feels to be the case energetically um and i think and then beyond that um it's probably more of the kind of giving giving back really serving the coaching community i i massively respect um many of the coaches I mentioned, Michael Neal and Steve Chandler and Steve Hardison and, and Rich Litfin, um, for the work they've done in, in really supporting uh, deep, deep coaching, impactful coaching, the coaching community of, of, of people, coaches who are committed to that form of coaching. And I would love to, um, you know, to, to be part of, of that. You know, I'm, Forty-two a few weeks ago, and um, I guess over the next ten, certainly twenty years, I'll be I'll personally be moving towards more the legacy part of my my career. Um, and I think really that's what the money and the financial stability does for me. It just gives me that platform to then to be able to, uh, um, yeah, give give back, Robin.
0: Yeah, and for people who have loved hearing about you and your work, you know, coaches or otherwise, where's the best place for them to go and where would you, is there something you'd point them at initially? Um, depends
1: how connected they feel. If they feel connected, just reach out and we'll have a conversation. I'm a big believer in that. It might be a short conversation to start. It might be the only conversation, but just to reach out. Um, send me an email, Chris at ChristopherJoseph.co.uk. Um, if they need to check me out more before doing that.
0: <laughs> people have got you're right though, people have got to know you pretty well if they've listened to this yeah, conversation. They have.
1: I feel they have. Yeah. I haven't really uh if if anything hidden hidden anything today. Um there's there's LinkedIn as well. I think LinkedIn forward slash Dr Chris Joseph. There's Facebook, it's Chris Joseph UK. Is the yeah.
0: and, and we'll put links to all this and, yeah. and also all the things we've, you know, both people who love to bring in our influences and resources, I'll put links to all those kind of things in the, in the right. show notes too. Is, is there anything that you feel like you haven't said before we bring this conversation to a close? You said you haven't held anything back. Is there anything that you want to share before we, before we close the call?
1: Um, I don't, I don't feel there's anything on the journey really. No, no key, key mile markers that I haven't shared I, um, we, we didn't dive into kind of the endurance side of things, which might be another conversation, you know, um, endurance sports and triathlon and an Ironman and ultra runs and 10 kilometer swims and all that kind of stuff. That's a real exciting area in the last couple of years for me. Um, and a lot of lessons from the power, lessons from the mindset needed to to do those, the pacing, and so on, and, and and what it takes to create a coaching business. But that that's that's another conversation. I feel what I'd love to leave this conversation with a message for for coaches um, and anybody, I guess, but specifically coaches listening and watching is is a reminder something've I've mentioned several times become a mantra for me is to, is to slow down um, it's so 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 easy to be caught up in the frantic franticness of of life um, these days and i don't don't think that's going to change accelerate if, if anything um, go offline go offline switch the computer off switch the phone off slow down a uh, journal um meditate if if necessary or go for a run or whatever works for you but without the music <laughs> and to remo- remove distraction and then see what shows up for you remove distraction and sh- see what shows up for you because for for many uh, they'll listen to the kind of fees and the two six-figure months and so on and they'll think ah oh, that's for him you know there's some something he's doing, some access he has, a network he has that I don't have, and all that hey, my ne- my network's from academia. Jeez. You know. <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing I've been gifted there. I grew up in the Welsh valleys in a, in a, in a, in a, in a mining valley. There's nothing really been gifted there. I was the first of my family, I think, to go to university. So stick with it. Stick with your own personal journey. Slow down. Listen to what your intuition says. Um, if you're out of alignment, then just clean up. If you're out of integrity, clean up. And keep it really super simple in terms of the creation process. Conversations lead to more conversations that lead to coaching conversations that lead to more coaching conversations that sometimes leads to clients. Forget the client aspect thing. Just go back and be curious. I think that's the word, Robbie. I think if, if people are going to leave with one word, it's just become curious. Become curious. Like what, what makes that person tick? What's going on for them? What's really going on for them? What are their dreams and aspirations? What are their real dreams and aspirations? Mm. Do they feel lonely? What do they feel connected? Where does connection lie for them? How's family life? What's great about it? What's not so great? What's legacy for them? What's impact for them? What is working? What's not working? What needs to change? What really needs to change? Just curiosity, 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 but with a light touch and an open heart. And I think if you go out into the world like that, and I don't know much about Steve Hardison, but that's the kind of sense I I get when I see, you know, he's like an enigma and I respect that. Um, but that's the kind of sense. That's what I certainly got from him is just going out into that, into the world with that curiosity, the open heart, the genuine love for humanity, the humbleness as well, the respect, you know, of, of the lessons you've learned from your own suffering and so on. And, um, and to share where relevant and to coach and to explore and to help them unpack and to peel the onion and so on and provide the safe environment. Just, just do that. It's, Coaching at this level is a return to becoming more human, not adding more information.
0: What a wonderful way to bring the conversation to a close, Chris. Look, thanks so much. Like you said, there's a load of, load of stuff that we could, that would need a whole other conversation in itself, and maybe we'll do that at some point. But thanks for being so open and honest and um, giving such a gift through this conversation. Really appreciate it. Thank
1: you, Robbie. Um, and I I love the way you've provided space for the conversation to unfold as well, um, and and thank you for the for the work that you're doing as well. You know I know it takes time and effort to to produce podcasts, um, and uh, thank you for your service to um, to the coaching industry and serving um, other coaches through this work. And, and of course, your one to one work and group work. So long may it uh, continue, my friend and. <laughs>
0: yeah absolutely absolutely thanks chris and yeah until next time
1: yeah yeah bye for now
0: Hello, everyone. Robbie here again. Just a couple of things before you all go on to whatever the rest of your day holds or the next podcast, if that's what's up next for you. Um, You made it to the end of the episode, so I'm guessing you enjoyed uh, and got a lot out of this conversation that Chris and I had. Um, You know, I know I did um, both the first time and listening back, and I know it's jam-packed with stuff for coaches, and and just what a pleasure to be let into Chris's life in that way. If you enjoyed this episode, um, you might want to think about supporting the Coach's Journey podcast. You could do that from as little as £5 a month. Um, That's a way to help me keep this going um, in the end to hopefully grow it, to get it in front of more coaches and to make it a real contribution to the coaching industry to help more coaches make a good living and thrive as humans while they do it from this amazing work. Uh, You might also want to join the Coach's Journey community. That's also available too um, from as little as uh, £9 a month plus VAT. And um, that's a way to do some work with me. It it can be really affordable. You can choose how much commitment and support you want from me uh, from anything from as little as a couple of calls a year up to um, 10 group coaching calls and and two one-on-one calls a year. You can find out more about the community at thecoachesjourney.com slash community. Um, You can find out more about uh, supporting The Coaches Journey. At uh, patreoncom slash um or you can uh, hit the Coach's Journey homepage and click, click Community or Support to find out more. Um, it'll mean a lot to me if you can do that. If it doesn't at the moment feel like you can you can commit to support um, the Coach's Journey in that way, um, then please uh, rate the podcast, s- subscribe wherever you're listening to it, and share it with someone who you think might get a lot out of listening to this conversation with Chris or any of the other episodes. Other than that, have a wonderful day and thanks so much for listening.